Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have with us Dr. Keith Bueller. And joining us from Texas, we have famous Curtis from his mansion with all those books. And I'm in frozen California. And Keith is in California too, right? I am. And uh, Lord have mercy on us all. Amen. Yes. Did you start your sentence with I am? Did you? Is that how you introduced yourself? Because <laughs> yeah, I am like a Lord little scared right, with that beard. I'm a little bit like nervous. Like, okay. We're going to learn. By the you. grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's Paul. So I okay. can say that. <laughs> All right. I was waiting for fear not or something. And then since you didn't say that, I was like, okay, that's a good sign, actually. So I am trying to convince my students. They have this strange belief. They've read the New Testament. They've grown up in the church. They have this strange belief that we can't be united to Christ, you know, that we can't be so closely identified to Christ that we can say our father, as mm -hmm. in God is the father of Jesus Christ. And I can call him my father. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's union. And they, mm -hmm. uh, they think that I'm claiming to be Jesus. And I'm like, look, look, look I'm not claiming to be any more <laughs> Jesus than you are. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, a close reading of the Lord's prayer already. That's good. It's amazing how important those pronouns are. Let's just go right to pronouns, shall we? No, just kidding. Well, Keith, <laughs> um, Dr. Bueller, um, we're so grateful to have you on this podcast. We're honored that you're here. Um, and I, I don't know you as well as I would like to know you, but that's part of the reason and part of the wonderful thing about doing a podcast like this is that... Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I know you from your posts primarily on Facebook. I don't even know how we got connected originally, but yeah, I, I don't know either it. actually, but <laughs> I just kind of figured that you were one of Chalky's students that I had as a TA, but then I realized, I think I just knew a bunch of students around Biola and I, I think I must've met you somewhere sometime at some point. Um, and, and I'm a simple campus. man, Facebook. Facebook recommends, you know, somebody and then they're friends with like, you know, all these Talbot guys. And I just, I click accept. I'm a simple man. <laughs> well, uh, Bueller, um, you uh, are now a principal. Is that correct? Yeah. We call it the old title headmaster. But yes. I'm, I founded, uh, co-founded and am running a new classical Orthodox Christian Academy here in California. Wow. Awesome. What's the name of it? It's called St. Andrew Academy. St. Andrew. Okay. Yeah. And we currently serve about 90 students within our parish and a few surrounding parishes. We don't have a public website or advertising or marketing um, because we are still in the process of a building uh, pro project for the church. And so, you know, we've, We've just committed to the city. Like we're sticking to our people right now. We're not going to increase traffic patterns or something like that. Um, but it's been a blessing. We have about 90 kids. Um, we do a full K through 12. We launched the K through 12 uh, program just seven months ago. And it's been amazing. Are the kids equally distributed among the 90 in terms of the grades? Is it? Or... It's not. It's, a, it's about 50% K through four <laughs> young ones. And then about 50%, six through 12. I have three seniors, two juniors, and about 15 freshmen and sophomores. Wow. 
the potential for growth is there. Wonderful in Riverside. And, awesome. And that's with no, no advertising. So there's some homeschool families out there, people that are enrolled in maybe the local Catholic school or the local Protestant private school who are probably salivating for what we're doing. And they just don't know about it yet. And we haven't, we haven't told them about it yet. So I'm expecting a, a bump whenever we do uh, finish our building project and, you know, we're, we're able to uh, advertise a bit. Yeah. I bet there's a lot of people salivating for that in California. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is not, this is not like the, the big pitch. The big pitch is, is our academics and our Orthodox Christianity that we're, we're living Christian lives together on campus while learning. Um, but it's a nice side pitch to say, we, we haven't had masks at all. Like, ever like it's never come up you know if someone's sick or whatever they want to wear a mask or if they're worried about someone getting sick um we have had covid go through like everybody else you know omicron but how many how many people died as a result of that uh going through so far like if you count grammar school faculty uh, board members zero <laughs> now are you r- rounding up or um i'm that's rounding, rounding down up slightly. Okay. that's rounding up slightly from less than zero um, yeah. Well, I almost, issue, I almost so. wore a mask today just because I'm very concerned about you. And I felt a little bit under the weather, um, earlier this morning. I felt when I got up, I felt tired Thank you. before I had my coffee. Oh, that's one of the so, Omicron. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. And I thought I, have, I really should be wearing a mask for the podcast today. Um, I am wearing my earbud very close to my face. And so whatever, kind of it, germs are coming through. I don't understand technology, but it's probably dangerous. I, 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 I'm aware of that. I, I noticed that right away. And we have a filtering system here. I was mainly worried about you because let me just explain something about me. I care about people and I'm, um, I really am a selfless person. So mm. I was just worried about you and your situation and what, you know, what, what can I do to help you? Thank um, you for wearing your mask in your car by yourself long drive <laughs> for the rest of us. You're doing something. You are kind of like Jesus. You're making my point. Yeah. I, well, I'm a little bit more controlling than he is. Uh, I don't think he cared <laughs> about people. I'm not sure he really cared about people as much as his reputation because otherwise he would have controlled people a little bit more. He would have said, you know, you're that, price gouging, is, you price could, gouging on the fish. As perfect as Jesus was, there's, he leaves some things to be desired. Like, for example, more tyrannical control of other people's behavior. I agree. Really let people do their thing. And that wouldn't work in today's woke society. Well, you know give unto God's what's God's give unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? Is there a difference? You know, I mean, just <laughs> let's just, you know, maybe he was being coy there, I guess, but it's good. He came mm-hmm. when he did. I mean, if he were here today, he'd be, it'd be really tough. Well, let's yeah. uh, let's give uh, some of Keith's background. The interesting thing about uh, Dr. Bueller is uh, from my perspective anyway, is that he is yeah. in K through 12 running a K through 12 operation. And he went through all of the training that you would normally go through to teach college. So you went to uh, tell us about your academic background. You went to Biola, you studied. I studied um, uh, humanities 
uh, and focused on history, but I took some philosophy there. And of course was exposed to the history of the canon, the, the Western canon, including all the philosophy um, that we read in philosophy programs. I was exposed to that in a great books honors college. It's now the Tory Honors College. Um, so I didn't know that what I loved was philosophy. I knew that what I loved was the discussion and the arguments and the back and forth. Even in history, my favorite class was historiography, which is the philosophy oh, cool. of history, essentially. Um, oh, you took a class so on that? I did. Yeah. Oh, with, that's uh, cool. Dr. Boos, I believe. And so philosophy kind of, you know, eventually found its way um, into my vocabulary. But um, after graduating, I did not know what I wanted to do, worked odd jobs. And uh, John Mark Reynolds, my professor at the time, said, you should get a PhD in philosophy and you can come work for me. You know, and I was like, great, that's a vision for my life. Um, <laughs> and so it took a few years to actually apply. But um, once I got married, we applied to you know, all these programs all over the country. The best offer was from University of Kentucky, where David Bradshaw was teaching and is still teaching. Um, he's an Orthodox Christian philosopher. I was just becoming Orthodox, and I thought, hey, this would be great. The one, the one thing, the, the nightmare stories that you hear from graduate students is always about their advisor, their dissertation, you know, committee. It's never really about the students and the, you know, the culture. Like those things are like in the news. But you talk to graduate students and they're like, yeah, my friends are not going to crucify me because I'm a conservative or something like that. Um, but you, you're if they you're, know, yeah, if they know. Yeah. It, and they might be surprised if they found out. Right. Oh, you don't look like a reptile. That's um, it right there. Yeah. <laughs> but but when I had the idea of, of like having a non-Christian or having a leftist um, uh, dissertation advisor, I just thought, I don't know where that would go, you know. What's uh, Bradshaw's so, focus? He's uh, Aristotle and patristics. If you okay. look at his recent stuff, it's all patristics. But his his big book is Aristotle East and West, which I highly recommend to your academic listeners. Aristotle East and West. Okay, does it have pictures in it? Because if it doesn't have pictures, <laughs> I pretty I pretty much throw it away. Which is why I like the Orthodox. Actually, I just, you guys always have <laughs> pictures right. in your books. But I wish you had that's more right. pie charts, honestly, and more facts. <laughs> Just like, you know, scatter plots, more science, science. You know, I wish you guys listened to science a little bit more, but guilty as charged. On that now, one. you yeah. said you became orthodox. Which heresies did you believe uh, before? I was raised sort of charismatic, non-denominational evangelical. Um, and I don't know if I had any beliefs, let alone beliefs that could qualify as heresies. Right? I was I was more in the relationship with God is about your emotional life. Um, and not about your intellectual life, which I learned from J.P. Moreland, who's been a, a guest on this illustrious podcast. Um, and I learned about, you know, the spiritual life from uh, beginning to do like meditation, silent meditation oh. outside of the church. Well, how did and you so, get involved with that? How did you get involved with silent meditation? Uh, my, my mentor at the time and counselor was, uh, was really big into meditation. He said, you sound like your mind is scattered and distracted. Like maybe you should try meditation. I said, what's that? So he showed me how. Was I this a private, I, was I this stopped. like at the Biola counseling center or where was this? <laughs> this, was, uh, this is in our I like giggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the funny, the funny thing is, is that I, I do, we, uh, we have been a little sarcastic going back and forth and maybe some <laughs> people can't quite track 
what is a genuine what's a genuine (laughs) question (laughs) that was actually a genuine question i was like because i i'm i'm actually learning about you but i know enough about your sense of humor that you would enjoy some i i I was just i did go to the bible counseling center a couple times i was just picturing my counselors there teaching you meditation and it was a funny moment (laughs) it's a funny moment for me too sarcasm hashtag yeah sarcasm begin sarcasm now can you edit those there could well there could be (laughs) there could have been a very contemplative you know john Coe is somewhere on campus right so that's true and And i did not have the pleasure of of taking john Coe's classes but i talked to him Mm -hmm. about my experience with sound prayer and and yeah he was very encouraging um so it was really i mean where did you find this counselor where do you find where did you find this? Was so, it a licensed counselor? Yeah. Or? So this guy's name is, is Dr. Robert Puff. So when I say I'm going to see Dr. Puff, I don't mean marijuana. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Thank you. Uh, he, but, uh, but my family saw him for just, you know, marital issues or, or uh, parent child issues that we were going through. And so he was kind of like uh, in the inheritance for me, it was like, Oh, you have to go see Dr. Puff when you turn 16. So I went and saw him when I was like an HD team, you know? Um, but I've actually kept up with him to this day. He was our premarital counselor. I listened to his podcast. Um, he's, he's a great, a great thinker and a great, uh, he's like a healthy person, right? So a great person to listen to about making your life more healthy. So it was him that showed me meditation and that kind of led to this like um, refashioning of my whole like spiritual life was like, like I'm experiencing God, like I'm touching, I'm, I'm like feeling God's presence on a moment by moment basis in a way I never have before at church or in school or anything. And that kind of blew me away. Like I was going towards the, um, you know, the spiritual, but not religious path after college, because I had you know, been disillusioned with all the, uh, the church fights. And I was, I was like, I have my own connection with God. You know, I didn't know that I was a bit proud and arrogant in that in that statement, but that's what I felt. Um, and so when I, a uh, friend invited me to the Orthodox church and, uh, you know, it's, it's got the history, it's got the contemplative spirituality. What uh, was this what in, was this up. in La Mirada that, that you went to the Orthodox church? I went, my first visit was in Costa Mesa, um, St. Barnabas is a little parish out there. Oh and yeah. That's where my wife and I were, were married and that's where I became Orthodox. And we spent the first two, three years of our marriage there. How far after Biola did you find yourself darkening the doors of, of St. Barnabas? It was three years. It was three years of a bit of wandering, um, reading, you know, trying to self-educate, trying to go back to my home church, you know, um, which is JP's church, Anheim Vineyard. Um, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go back. You know, it was, uh, the damage had been done. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that struggle. I, I had a similar struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a truth in advertising with the St. Barnabas because it's Orthodox it, and you show up and it actually is Orthodox, but with yep. the vineyard, there's no vineyard <laughs> there. A bunch oh, of God. liars. You lied to me. You know, I, I went there my whole life. I never noticed that. <laughs> the well, absence Keith, of vineyard. Keith, did you, what what year did you show up at University of Kentucky? So that would be 2012. Okay. Um, and you know, newly for, for a PhD in, in philosophy. 
That's what you're going to philosophy. Okay. Yeah. Had a kid and had a fire in my belly. I was going to get this thing in five years. Um, my wife and I did not really want to leave California because this is where both of our families are. So we, we busted our butts and, you know, uh, did the program quickly as I could. Uh, enjoyed pretty much every minute of it. I, I have no complaints about my classes. People tell me, you don't learn in grad school. You just kind of go through the motions. And I was like, I learned a ton. I, and I took classes <laughs> and stuff I've never, I never thought about before, you know? I thought that was the point of going to grad school was <laughs> to learn. I, I, I'm with you. People, I'm with you. Definitely. Yeah, a bunch of people told me that. They were cynical. And, you know, working with, with David Bradshaw, um, making great friends that I'm still friends with. So um, there was, at the time, there was like three or four out of the 25 students were Christian. And that, that made a difference to have some community. So we came back in 20, 2017. I did do a job run, a market run, which, as you know, is, uh, is cruel and unusual punishment. Um, I applied to some 40-odd schools. And all the I got a couple of like requests for more information, things like that. But all the movements of the needle came from classical schools. And that's where my resume, you know, I worked, I taught for five years before grad school. I even taught in grad school at a local classical school. Um, that was the principal for a year at this little startup that had you know very few students. And so I was like, okay, this is the Lord's leading. I think academia has been great. Uh, in another market, maybe I would have gotten a job. And I would have been happy with that too, but um, but I really think I'm I'm called to serve the classical education movement, classical Christian education, and so I went back to teaching for four years um, at a school in Santa Clarita, and then this opportunity to to start um, a school at this church came up, and that's when we made the leap last July. And you were in the Santa Clarita. That tell tell people where that is for people who don't know Southern California. Yeah, so Santa Clarita, um, the, the way people normally refer to it is by Six Flags Magic Mountain. Yeah. Um, it's, right, it's right there at the tip of the, when, when the five, uh, when there's no more exits because you're going over the grapevine. Um, that's, that's the Santa Clarita area. Right just there. north of L.A., yeah. I think the way the kids say it is, it's technically in L.A. <laughs> County. <laughs> Uh, and if you say technically, that adds something to it, apparently. Uh, you can't just say it's in L.A. County. Because uh, otherwise, I don't. I really don't know what you mean. What do you mean it's in L.A. County? But if you say yeah. technically, then I go, veracity. I got it. Got it. The, okay, the I, was missing, I was missing the technical part. Yeah, it is both not in L.A. County and technically in L.A. County. Like, these are both true. <laughs> it's not in L.A. City, but it's in L.A. County. So yeah, so uh, it's basically it's basically the Kentucky of California. I mean, it's way out there. <laughs> yeah, and Kentucky is beautiful, though. Mm -hmm. um, did you find it to be beautiful there? I did. I um, I had a life goal because when I was I was homeschooled, I read a lot of books about the seasons, and I was like, "What are these seasons?" You're like, "I live in California. California. We have uh, summer, and then we have a little bit of rain, and we go back to summer." Um, and so Kentucky fulfilled that life goal of living in a place with seasons. We got, we got snow three out of the five years. Um, the falls were just unbelievable. The horse farms, you know, it's the bourbon. Uh, Kentucky is an amazing place. And so do, do the Orthodox not mind if you say whiskey, that you drink whiskey? The Orthodox have a, a principle that 
God is to be blessed for all the fruits of his creation, right? Wine to make glad the heart of man. That's in the Psalms. Praise God. I don't know why the holiness tradition, the so-called holiness tradition, according to Richard Foster in his Streams of Living Water, which I think is a nice way to learn a little church history if you never studied church history. Uh, he calls the tradition that I grew up in the holiness tradition, and the Baptist tradition is one of those traditions where, you know, you don't cuss, definitely don't cuss, because that's that's a, a window into a, your dark soul, or or uh, don't want to have any alcohol. I saw you looking at the beer. I saw you lingering over at the beer section, and that's an indication there's some problems going on inside, but you guys over in the Orthodox, it was that how you were raised? I don't know how vineyard is. I don't think vineyard is a holiness tradition. It, it seems like vineyard it's is not. I would say that um, that cussing definitely was looked at upon, and yeah, drinking sure. drinking was something you didn't talk about if you did do it. Um, <laughs> kind of so, like Biola, basically. Then you know, it was kind of like Biola. I, my mom always said a little bit more charismatic. Drink, don't, don't chew. Don't go with girls who do. You know, that was like one of the things she learned. <laughs> And I was like, I don't think there was ever a thing about gambling. Like we would have poker nights, but hmm. yeah. But in, interestingly, so orthodoxy is like very aesthetic, right? So the word aesthetic is spiritual labor. That's what ascesis means in Greek. And it's um, the idea of fasting and what we call spiritual disciplines. Um, and so I was reading in the Desert Fathers yesterday that there are monks who abstain from wine completely. But we basically view that as a voluntary um a voluntary giving up of a good thing, right? So fasting is, you don't ever fast from bad things. You don't like fast from adultery. Like normally I commit adultery, but during Lent, I'm giving it up. Fast, <laughs> that's, a good, fast that's, from, that's great. That's great. Yeah. What, what did you, you say? Ascetic men again? It's ascesis in Greek? Ascesis means spiritual exercise. It literally means exercise, but we, we, we don't use it for that anymore. I don't we think I ever caught that stuff. when I took Greek. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, it was the aesthetic labor, not aesthetic labor, which would be uh, working really hard to make something beautiful, I suppose. But so I, I think of wine and, you know, if someone doesn't drink, like if a Baptist or, or uh, Wesleyan or something doesn't drink, I think of that as an aesthetic labor. That's voluntary exclusion of a good thing. And that's, that's to be commended. It's no longer, it's not obligatory. Though. That's the difference. Right. Right. That's great. Okay. So alcohol is okay. We're basically just now, doing like kind of like we're we're doing all things keith bueller here because there's so many aspects here we could do the k through 12 i think we're just hitting all of it when you were at k when you were at university of kentucky had you ever heard of a guy named craig streetman who had been a student there i don't think so okay i forget what college he's in he's in a college now in tennessee i know i knew him at Denver Seminary, and he's the only other person that I knew that went to the University of Kentucky. Okay. So I had to ask. I think he studied with Bradshaw, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so what do you like about your current position? What do you not like about it? <laughs> well, um, I, I love just about everything about it. It could go on and on. It's, it's only seven months seven months in it, we've been working on the school for about two years um, in terms of laying the, the foundation. Um, but we didn't launch until September. And so there was the kind of like before the school part, there's project management 
and there's vision, like writing documents of this is who we are. This is what we want to be. That stuff is really fun. That's where the, um, you know, the, the PhD training in terms of writing and in terms of building a big project was very relevant. Um, and it's still very relevant because we're in, we're in year one of a, of a big project, you know, maybe, maybe indefinite. Um, and I know my role in it will be uh, one window. So I have to sort of think of like the arch, you know, I had, I had my spreadsheet in, in grad school of like steps along the way to getting that PhD. And um, now I just have my steps along the way to establishing the school. And uh, so I love, I love the, the people interaction. I love the academic uh, sort of vision casting we have to do. Uh, we're educating people on what classical education means, why it's important to learn Latin and Greek. Um, we're educating people about the importance of rhetoric and logic um, and how logic is not simply a subject you take as a freshman in college, but it's a, it's a universal art that cultivated or educated people use all the time in every subject, right? You don't, you don't think logically about only logic. <laughs> you think logically, hopefully, about everything, unless you're posting on Facebook. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're, we're trying to educate the parents who didn't get this kind of education. Obviously, I didn't up until age 18. So it, it's all catch up. But I love educating, you know, parents now as well as students. I teach two classes. That's key right there. That's key. Um, so when did you, you know, realize that key? When did you learn? When, when did you realize the parents really need to be captured somehow? Well, just, just teaching. I mean, I started teaching and all the problems that I had did not come from students. It came from parents, mm. parents who were giving their students a free pass not to do stuff or yep. contradicting what we said in class, right? So it's mm. like, hey, we need to we need to cooperate. And then at my last job, um, I would I would I would use the intentionally vague word culture to describe sometimes the family culture subverted the school culture. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, and yeah. so I was like, what we need is we need to have the school culture permeate the family culture, or have families who already agree with the school culture come to the school so that we can form the whole person. Because me feeding your kid content and then sending them home to your family culture where that content is contextualized into like a, a basically a worldly life that's not doing anything and and when are you going to be running for school board <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine hey, got no. people Dude, on the school let, board let and... the guy rest for god's sake he just got his phd and now he's no running a damn school There's too much work he's doing no. a building project <laughs> can you imagine if we had school board people that actually thought this you know, uh, integratedly this deeply that'd be wonderful yeah it's tough and and the parents yeah. aren't necessarily super excited that i'm bringing this stuff up but um i'm trying to make the case that yeah like this is a this is a you problem you know yeah. If your kid doesn't read well in class, that's because you never read a book at home and you watch TV too much. Um, or you both work too much. This is getting very personal here. You two, two working parents, no time for the kids. The, the video game babysits the kids. And guess who? When I was a kid, video game meant sitting in front of the screen by yourself. Video games now mean you're on the internet with your 15 best buds and you're playing a game and you're talking. And if they're not, wow. if you're not on YouTube, soaking in TikTok, soaking in all the worldly culture, I'll bet you they are, and they're informing you about it. So pretty quickly, playing video games for two hours a day makes you a worldly person. You know, that's interesting. Wow. 
because my kids would always early on, they would be, well, but this is how I'm being social. This is how I'm spending time with my friends. And, and so there, there's that struggle as a parent. I relate to that. You know, there's that struggle. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, you, you gotta, you gotta go meet up in the woods. You gotta go meet up in person. You gotta do something in person. Yeah. That's right. I mean, just because it's social uh, doesn't mean it's, it's actually good social time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like watching a movie with your friends. Like, are we really socializing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but well, I talk all game... the way through the movie, so yeah. <laughs> like in Finding Nemo, I was like, they they don't really talk. Fish don't talk. That's not what it, <laughs> that's not what it sounds like when you talk underwater, anyway. So this is just bullshit. <laughs> your friends are looking at you like you don't really get things, do you? <laughs> They're not uh, really married. They're not really married. They're pretending. They met like two months ago on set. They're pre- that's pretending. That's not their dog. They don't no really live creatures. there. This is all fake. This is all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't really die. No, I. he didn't die. I know it looks like it. He didn't die. <laughs> yeah, but so, I mean, you know, but most people aren't doing that, right? And most people aren't socializing in the film that 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 when when you what strikes me about what you said about reaching out to parents and just i mean i i'm going i'm holding back the expression that i want to say but it, the the basketballs that it takes for you to these are your constituents these are your customers how you must have tremendous buy in to that's right to feel like you have the the uh, ability to speak into their lives like that i mean it's obvious what you're saying is true but um most people would probably feel like they're they don't want to offend anybody well so and i certainly i certainly don't want to uh micromanage and this is back to the whole you know tyrannizing other people's behavior if if i could control you know, the parents' behavior, I probably would give into that temptation. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, rhetorically persuade, right? I'm trying to make information available to them about the dangers of uh, online addiction. You know, internet, uh, internet leads to like maybe uh, video game addiction, which can lead to other darker addictions. Um, I'm trying to like, if your kid's not getting straight A's, I'm trying to just encourage them, look, my domain here is the academics. They're not doing well in my domain. You need to figure out what it is. Um, and so <laughs> I'm trying to, 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 uh, to, to toe that line, but you're right, there's a ton of buy-in. This community is pre-existing, right? I'm new to this community, this church, and they have been planning to start a school for decades at this point. And so the people who are on board on the ground are incredibly dedicated. They've been in this long term. They're very patient with me. I'm a rookie headmaster. Um, I've made, let's just say, a non-zero number of boneheaded mistakes. Um, I won't say if that number reaches into the double digits or the triple digits at this point or not. I will just say that it's not zero. And they're patient with me. And and also the priest who's on the board, you know, he's got, he just tells me, hey, look, um, I said something about, I'm not sure I have the authority to say this. And he said, he said, brother, authority comes from love and sacrifice. It doesn't come from position. 
people know that you love them and that you've sacrificed a lot to be here and to give to them. So you can say whatever you want. You know, you can, you can, and you can say hard things. And that gave me a lot of confidence that I did not have. Mm. Say that one more time. Authority comes from love. Authority and doesn't come from position. It doesn't come from position. It comes from love and sacrifice. You know, think about the father. Like I'm a dad of four kids. I want authority over my kids. I want them to listen to me. I want them to respect me, all that. But, you know, if they're not listening to me and I get mad and I get less loving, <laughs> they have less reason to listen to me. Right? I'm actually like, subverting my own authority. Um, but, but if they feel the love and the sacrifice of time with them, especially, um, they don't really care that you go to work and provide food, you know, put up food on the table. That's what you care about. They don't care. Um, but, uh, but if they feel the sacrifice of your love for them, then they care what you think and they want to do what you say. And that's, that's a huge blessing. What was the name of the priest that said that? I would just want to make sure I got the quote right or quote yeah, it, accurately attributed. Father Josiah Trenum. He's, he's a internet famous. He's controversial. Josiah uh, what? What's his last name? Trenum. T-R-E-H-N-A-M. If he's controversial, we'll probably be friends. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a wonderful guy. As, as opposed to all the other stuff that you're involved with, the philosophy, the Orthodox Church, being on the Meditation. Republican professor, K through 12 education, masks, <laughs> where everybody agrees on Four everything. Kids. That's right. <laughs> Thank God. Four kids. Yeah. Uh, philosophy. I Are mean, having- pretty much everybody agrees on it, on that. You show up. And you just learn, you read the books and you have the, which beliefs am I supposed to have? Oh yeah. Okay. Check them off. And you say, you you have to sign a statement saying, I believe all these things. And then you get your PhD. That's right. And you have to, you have to write a diversity, uh, inclusion (laughs) and equity statement. Well, actually, yeah, that is, that is actually, that is one of the things that is, what do you think about the, uh, die, die. Uh, Jordan Peterson calls it diversity, inclusion, equity. Die. I love that. Yeah. I'm switching to, yeah, instead of DEI, it's DIE. Um, I think it's great. Between die and woke, you have a really good sort of like symbolic <laughs> representation of this movement. Wake up and die. Um, well, you're an I, administrator, I so you have to kind of, you know, you have to have some view about it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're, um, we, we aren't a conservative school, we're a traditional school. And sometimes tradition solves these problems before they start. You don't have to have a battle about it. Um, but, you know, uh, I was really big into the, um, the news cycle and all the controversies and back in Gamergate, back in uh, whatever it was, 2012 or 2015. Um, and now I just sort of, I, I just enjoy being two steps removed from it. And I, I still watch, you know, some conservative commentators and things like that. But what was, um, the, right what now, was the, what was the thing you mentioned? What gate, something gate, gate? gamer, gamer gate was when uh, gaming, which is traditionally a stronghold of men and often uh, men who don't care about politics, right. Don't have a dog in the fight. Uh, that was when sort of feminism tried to make it in, in uh, incursion into video games. And there was a big uproar. And I missed if, that. And if men, <laughs> I missed that entirely. Boys, oh, it was it was fantastic. But it's happened. It's I basically think they've won the diversity people, the die people. Um, they've tried to make uh, video games more woke, and they're trying to make Hollywood more woke. Um, so 
did that but when did men that, did that uh, have a an impact on board games because that's where i would have felt it with like chess did it they try to make more queens or because <laughs> I, I i'm in the board game so i i didn't i missed that never was played, it only well, was, slightly you, different you've never okay, played right. chess with two queens no <laughs> and i don't know what gender the horses are because generally the pieces don't include those parts they just have the head you know oh and, but and you're assuming that gender has to do with body parts and that's i am anti-trans yeah yeah <laughs> well a lot of people assume that i'm mean, apparently uh, a lot of the people on the the die side just assume it it's funny um i catch npr in it all the time uh the uh there is a a recent one that i saw it comes up in my memories where i you know i'm commenting on their posts but there was an a cpr the npr has a great way of the nationalist public radio of course they're not for nationalism but um uh they they had this thing about cpr and the and uh, the uh the the dummy or the body <laughs> and they were saying gender inclusive um cpr training or something like that and and the body had breasts and um the way that they worded it was that that the, the assumption was that was a woman and i and oh, I, saw, right. I all i did was comment on it. i said so gender is a matter of body parts interesting interesting and i had i had so much reaction just to that from the uh because you know it's a democrat site and it's mainly democrats that are commenting on it and but, but the people they, who they put, just were like, outraged but they they were also they couldn't understand where i was wrong so that's right well the people who put breasts on a dummy and call it gender inclusive they're like the c student who realizes the wind is turning one that's way that's right that's right and they're trying to trying to get their foot in they're like i also agree with yes. jana's interpretation of shakespeare yeah <laughs> that's a man who's been in many classrooms right there <laughs> Yeah, everything's a student analogy for me. The, the student is the polis. It's the republic. You, you can find <laughs> one of every kind. That's a, nerd, that's a nerd reference. Polis. What's that, what's that for everybody? Yeah, I'm not sure how much to not modulate my nerdiness on your podcast. Don't, I haven't don't, quite figured don't, out your, your it's, audience. I will, I will modulate it. if I, I will do the best I can. We need to leave a lot of it in there because that will attract the people that we want, which are insatiably curious people they might not be highly educated in in any kind of official uh piece of paper on the wall kind of a thing but that's mm -hmm. okay i don't think that that's what really education is i think you can get a great education with piece of paper on the wall if you if you're conscientious about it i think you were and i i was and i know that curtis was and lots of people are and that's that's fine as long as you are conscientious about it but um there's a lot of people that never had an opportunity to do that and or they are just insatiably curious and they want to know what words you're using. And so I'm just trying to they might already know. And then when you confirm what they know, they'll feel great. <laughs> well, well, if Polis. if we're doing the if we're doing the all things Keith Bueller podcast, one of the things you mentioned in your Facebook uh, comment was real estate and running. So yeah, have to get to those two as well. OK. They're on my list. They're on my list. Okay. Okay. 
So polis is an ancient Greek term for a political community. Sometimes it's translated city. The most basic political community, unless you count the household, which I think the household is not really a political community, would you say? That's right. I mean, you could say it's a mini polis, um, but a, I think that I'm persuaded by, by Plato on this one that mm-hmm. the polis is the basic unit. It's composed of individuals and families. Like that's like the family is the sort of cell you could say, but it's not the whole organism. Um, the, the, you need a bunch of cells to make an organism. The polis, yes. which yeah. I translate Republic, right? Cause I love, I love Plato. I'm a Plato guy. The Republic is the sort of like, almost like the icon or the archetype of a human community. So I would say the church, for example, is the polis. The church is the human community in Christ. Christ is the head where everyone has a part, where everyone belongs. Speaking of inclusion, everyone has a spot if you're repentant um, and that we can be different and we can be unequal, but still be all valuable and valuable to each other, valuable in God's eyes. So that's what, that's what these die people really want is they want to be in the church. God bless them. Um, they think that, you know, you can, uh, you could for them, what is it? Uh, repentance is admitting your racism. Um, <laughs> you know, contrition is, is being an anti-racist and committing every day, despite your, your failures. Um, you know, they have the kind of the trappings of the church. They just don't have the right content. Mm. Uh, so may they, may they find salvation. Amen. Amen. That's a great little homily. Um, yeah, polis is a the the basic root word of like metropolis. You think of a, a city or, yeah, I like that. Uh, I like what you did with that. Um, the household's important too, which is why I really like that. You, you know, Aristotle starts with the household in politics. Okay. You know, and um, that the household. That's why I think it's so important what you're doing with with speaking into the household it's not i think people it's very common to see people expect too much from a school yes and also give the school too much credit for credits may be the wrong word but um well well you will go with credit but i mean uh, attribute too much to the school in terms of how lost their kids are or, or how dumb they are basically. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, a lot you, of it you, starts you, at home. Public schools are full of competent, motivated, capable teachers who are completely uh, handicapped by the, the, the nature of their students. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, they can't expect them to read because they don't read at home. They can't expect them to do homework because they have no self-discipline and no parental oversight. They can't expect them to uh, you know, keep track of their own assignments uh, because these kids are ADD and distractible. And um, you know, a lot of ADD diagnosed or undiagnosed ADD is people with no attention span because they've never practiced, right? It's a behavioral thing um, that can be, that can, you can get like 20% better or something like that with practice, even if you have ADD. So uh, just, it's, it's a mess. And what we're trying to do at this academy is um, excellent education, but when there are issues that are outside of our purview as teachers, address them, 
on on the on their front address them at home address them with as a relational you know um That's something good. again having a priest be on the board uh means i can escalate conflicts that are emotional or vision conflicts i can escalate them to the level of hey we are not we're starting to resent each other we're having this conflict and it's starting to get emotional and we're starting to get frustrated what we really need to do is we need to forgive right we need to stop calm down forgive make peace and then we can address the issue that that whole idea of making peace first before you've solved the problem that right there turns a, a, a culture around it, it makes it makes things so much easier and so much better and then we do get to the vision we do resolve the problem but um, having the priest there to be able to say, hey, this is a spiritual problem, cut it out. Um, that's been invaluable. That's awesome. And I, and I think, I mean, this is where I'm going to gently tread in the direction of a criticism of Protestantism. Um, this is where, you know, a Protestant. You can pastor... unleash. Don't be gentle. That's fine. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm pro I'm Protestant. I, I, I have very thin skin on Protestantism. Just kidding. But I'm, I, yeah. I want to learn is I'm, I yeah. love church history. That was one of the most, that was probably my favorite thing I took it as an undergrad at mm -hmm. Wayland Baptist university in Hawaii. Um, and I, I love church history as a graduate student. I took it um, a couple times doing my seminary training. And mm -hmm. so you are, you have full free. I, I, I'm fully aware of the Orthodox tradition. And I feel like probably a lot of the people listening, if they, especially if they're listening on audio, they yeah. can't see you. Right. And so, so a lot of the Orthodox tradition is just presented in your appearance to me. I mean, I could, you're either a rabbi and I can't see the back of your head or <laughs> you are, you know, um, orthodox, probably to me, working on, working on the orthodox beard. Yeah. <laughs> but you've, you've mentioned it several times. So yeah, unleash, you know, feel free. Well, so and this is not per se a criticism of Protestantism. It's more of a criticism of the current iteration of the way evangelical churches have, have built out, um, which is that, like you said, the pastor, he's treating his flock. If he's a mega church pastor, he's treating his flock as constituents and customers who have other options, right? Who, if he says something um, that doesn't tickle their fancy, they can just bounce, they can leave. And those are, those are line items in the budget. Um, and so I think that is, that makes it a lot harder to, um, to speak into people's lives, to be harsh in a loving way, um, say the hard thing. So that, that's just all I was saying was we have this kind of, we have this buy-in as a community. And um, even when it gets hard, we have the, the person with the real authority to tell people to stop. Um, and they're not, they're not going to leave. I, I had this one really hard conversation where I just thought, oh man, this person's going to leave. Like we're being so hard on them. We're drawing such a hard line. And you know what? They're still here. And we just did our forgiveness vespers, uh, which is the beginning of Lent. We all gather in the church, pray together. And then we go around in a concentric circles and ask for forgiveness individually from every single person in the church. You get down on your knees and you say, forgive me a sinner. And they say, God forgives. <laughs> it's so powerful. And, uh, and then I do this for my kids. I do this for my wife. I do this for all of my employees who, who go to the church here. Um, and then including those 
those people who we're having these hard conflicts with. And we just hug it out, we cry it out, and we forgive each other. And you know, are we going to have another fight? Probably, but we're going to have another reconciliation. I like that. That's really cool. Um, Keith, you uh, you said that you got a PhD in philosophy and it took five years. Um, do you feel like you would have done that again? Knowing everything you know now, would you go back and do that over again? 100%. What was the, what was the thing about it that you felt was most beneficial? There, there, was, there was a lot of things. Coincidentally, you know, in my personal life, my wife and I had just gotten married. We were able to move away from both of our families and become a family unit. Um, we did our own Christmases together because we couldn't afford to fly home and um, we had to make community. So that was, that was a huge part of it, which I know is not specific to graduate school. We could have flown out of state to get a job or something. Um, the job experience, the teaching experience, um, teaching adults, legal adults, the um, and, and just being able to dedicate myself to one thing. I am ADD, talking about ADD earlier. I have ADHD or something, um, attention deficit. Hey, look, a squirrel disorder. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, being able, I've always started projects. Hey, like if you look at my unfinished projects list on my hard drive, but having, this is my job. I have to finish, having, having this one project you have to finish, it takes years. Um, is it is an informative experience? I learned a lot. I wrote a lot, um, and so I, I I would say for me it's the formation, it's not just the credentialing, which which has been helpful to be a headmaster. People don't um, they don't think twice when you Dr. Bueller is the headmaster. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's he's probably smart. It's basically what that means to them. They don't ask me. Tell me about Aristotelian neo naturalism. Like, what, how does that work? Um, that's why I did my dissertation on, on Aristotle and contemporary forms of Aristotle. And no one really cares about that other than other academics. I do. Yeah. But, well, but it was still, it was still helpful. What was your favorite class that you took over in the UK favorite class? <laughs> um, I enjoyed my Plato classes with Eric Sande. He's he approaches Plato from a very different angle to the one that I had used before. Um, so that was kind of like seeing, seeing Plato fresh. Um, I'd probably say my favorite class was this class with Bradshaw on naturalism, just, just thematizing the concept of nature for a whole semester, um, the varieties of naturalism, which is uh, an essay by John McDowell, if memory serves, or um, it's people, people who claim to be naturalists, right? Claim that nature is all there is, ever was, and will be. Um, but then when they realize, in other words, naturalism excludes God, right? It excludes God, excludes the supernatural, excludes the soul and excludes Plato's forms. Anything that's uh, not material, it's, anything that's not natural. Well, so that's, that's exactly where the naturalists among themselves, they're having an in, in-house argument. They start to argue, but well, not everything is material, right? Like, numbers and maybe maybe forms are real maybe natures are real like the thing that science studies the science doesn't study every individual goose it studies the nature of goose right and uh it studies mammals which there there's never been a physical living breathing mammal ever in the history of the world there's only been dogs and cats and, and so on 
mammal is an abstract concept. So yeah. naturalism <laughs> attempts to distinguish is that what you meant by itself. forms? Is that what you meant by yeah. forms? So if That's somebody right. somebody listening heard forms and they might not know what you mean by that. Yeah. So natural forms would okay. be like just a kind of dog, not okay. any individual dog. It's an and idea. Then, and then, is it kind of like an, an idea? idea. Would you say it's a concept? I would not say it's a concept. Okay. Um, Explain explain the difference in concepts and ideas. So concepts are in your head and (laughs) ideas are real, but they aren't necessarily just in your head. Concepts are Uh, in your head. You mean they're in my brain or in the blood? I, I do think your mind is located spatially where your brain is, but... Um, but no, they're not primarily in your brain. They're, okay. they're known by your mind um, or they're thought up by your mind. I can come up with a, a new concept from scratch, but ideas in the platonic sense mm-hmm. are, they pre-exist to me and they're there whether I'm thinking about them or not. And, so and that's, a, that's before a Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve, there were, there were forms or ideas, but, mm-hmm. but there were no human concepts until Adam and Eve got there and made had had thoughts in their minds phenomenologically they're in in your head i guess you're they appear they feel like they're in your head is that kind of what you mean yeah if if there's the terrain and there's the map the terrain is the the forms themselves and the map is our concepts and do you believe that the mind is the same thing as the brain or is it ultimately to um i think i think is it separable from the brain yeah, of... the mind has properties the brain does not have, so they can't be the same thing. The mind is uh, a single unitary thing, and the yeah. brain is a collection of many things. That's that's my summary of JP's argument. It, it's it's funny how I just I was kind of humorous. It's humorous to me listening to philosophers talk because it, you you can't get away from or anybody talk. Uh, you can't get away from ideas and forms i mean we're talking about the brain and the mind as if there's one of them uh and which one which one are we talking about the the brain oh the brain oh mine's over here yours is over there which one is the brain if you want to criticize forms you have to gather them all together into one form and say you know forms those those things aren't real yeah yeah that's great uh, this is really nerdy, um, and it's going to be a great joy for certain nerds out there or certain wannabe nerds. Awesome. So we wanted to get to real estate running and optimism. And I'm, I had to make sure I did optimism because I think one of my last interactions with you was, I think it was puzzling to me a little bit about how optimistic you are. No, I wasn't, I wouldn't say puzzling. It would, it was, I was curious. Mm-hmm. I, I was, because you do seem to be insatiably optimistic and I don't know, yeah. is that a spiritual discipline or are you naturally like that? Tell us about well, optimism. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I do think optimism is, is a spiritual discipline. It's um, the, in, in God's real world, in the objective world, all is well. And if I don't, if I feel like things are going badly or I'm upset or, you know, my wife is not doing this or that thing, or my students are being this or that way, that problem comes from me. Like, like there might, they might be doing something wrong in, in, in the real world, but I don't need to be bothered by it. And so 
And that's the sort of like the power of the mind, right? The power of our filtration process. The world comes to me and I turn it into something that, that I need to feel anxious about. Um, an example of this would be the recent war in Ukraine. And I use the word war loosely because I'm not sure it is a war yet. Um, it's some kind of conflict. But um, I didn't read, I wasn't reading the news that week. And so I didn't hear about it. I felt nothing. The war objectively was still happening. And yet I wasn't upset about it because I didn't know anything about it. People who are reading about it, who, by the way, have not, nothing to do with, with the war, have no dog in the fight. I mean, maybe, maybe they can pray. They were starting to feel upset about it. I have, I have friends who are like, yeah, my kids are really anxious about the war in Ukraine. Like, why should your kid have any feeling about this whatsoever? It's probably because of the way you're talking about it. So that's just an example yes, of, exactly. of our, our pessimism, if you want to call it that, our negativity. It's, a, it's the same thing with the masks and making your kids wear masks. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it's still happening. It's just crazy. I mean, the anxiety that these kids have. And I think deep down, the kids know it's BS. I mean, they have to. Yeah, that's right. But they feel like they have that's to perform. Right. But, but they, they absorb the anxiety in the air. Yeah. Emitting. Um, so in that sense, it's, uh, I, I grew up, I think my disposition is sort of sunny. <laughs> I think I was, a, I was a happy kid according to my siblings, but I grew up in a, in a household with a lot of negative thinking, you know, and, and anxiety. And, and these patterns are, are daily, you know, it's a daily um, battle to reprogram myself, but you get programmed as a kid. And then as an adult, you get to program yourself however you want um, and refashion your habits and, and reform yourself, so to speak. Uh, with God's help. So the negativity, I would say, is very much nurture, and the, the positivity is somewhat nature. But then it just becomes like, you have to be positive. Say something bad happens. You look literally look at the bright side. What, what, po- what possible good thing could come out of it? And if you can't find anything, you remember the Bible verse, the powerful verse, that God chastens those whom he loves. Oh, this is a gift from God for my benefit, even though it's hard, even though I don't see any other benefit. So I just choose to believe on principle that God is doing good things for me and for the entire world. And that some of them hurt like sickness or like my kids not getting, uh, doing what I want, not getting my way. Um, or, uh, you know, my marriage being hard, taking work, my job being hard. All these things are gifts from God. And if you, if you choose to adopt that perspective, then it looks to the outside like opposite. Let me press into the choosing a little bit, because it seems to me that you have uh, an emotional experience. You, ha- you had a, an experience with God in the past, or maybe it's ongoing. I don't know. But there's some kind of basis for your choice that, that gives you confidence. And it's not just an intellectual cognitive thing, like you read it in the Bible and you go, oh, okay, therefore I can choose this. There's something yeah. else there. There's there's a confidence that's cellular almost. It feels like um, it's, uh, I'm speaking metaphorically, obviously, but it's, it's really deep for you. You have this confidence that God loves you. Is that, is that an experience in your life that you've had? Um, what, what grounds that for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, sorry, I'm getting a text here. Um, yeah, it's, it's been many, many experiences, some, some bigger experiences like that I could name, like, uh, one at the vineyard, you know, where I felt like the Holy spirit just came and just comforted me. Um, and, uh, one, I did like a, 
like a it's called breakthrough or or impact training where you literally lean back in the arms of everybody in the room, these people you've done this training with, and they they hold you and they sway you gently like this, and you're laying on their on their arms. And I felt so loved. I felt it, it was the it was love and surrender, right? When we don't feel love, it's because we maybe don't feel fully known. So it's like, yeah, you like me, but if you really knew me, you would you wouldn't like me. But if you, if I feel fully known and fully loved, that's gonna leave a mark. <clears throat> and so I've had that experience with my wife. Um, even when we were dating, you know, you're you mm-hmm. you you pull a card out and you go, This is true about me. You kind of hide it again. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, is she still there? Is she gonna yeah. run away? And she was doing the same thing for me. And so we've had these experiences of, of, of being known and still being loved that have been very healing for, for both of us. Um, but so then with God, you know, it makes it easier to thing. choose then when you were talking about choosing to be optimistic. It does. I mean, it's or, chicken and egg because yeah. I, I mean, this, this was also from Dr. Puff where he just said, like, literally, like, if you stop worrying, nothing will go wrong. Like you feel like your worry is protecting you from all these bad things. That's if you just insight. stop worrying, literally nothing bad will happen. You might suffer pain, but it's not the, the kind of the worries. The worry is telling you you're going to be annihilated. <laughs> you know, the worry is telling you you're going to be ground into a worthless piece of nothing. And that's never going to happen. It's just literally never going to happen. And so it was worry doesn't protect you. So and we're hard pressed, but we're not crushed. Yeah. Yes. We're hard pressed and we're not crushed. And and just when you think you're you're gonna die, he lets up. You know, God knows our life. So I've had that experience of falling back and saying, let's just try it. You know, someone I trust said this. I'm gonna take the risk to believe it, even though I haven't experienced it yet. And then boom, I was like, Do you do that? Do right. you give that experience to your students and the, the people there at the school? So that they can, uh, I, they can freely help choose, help you, help them choose. Cause I think some of these people might be listening and think this guy just has extra serotonin in his brain. That's what's happening. <laughs> and, you know, he's talking about choosing this and, but really that's how people talk who have serotonin in their brain. But yeah, you know, yeah, no, I have a very, I have a very, I have a very tough life. I'm still, still in counseling, you know, I still um, struggle with, with things. So it's like uh, it's a, it's more of an ongoing choice and a battle. And I, it's, what I struggle with when I'm talking to my students, for example, is that they do jump to the conclusion that you're talking about that, oh yeah, you're, you're a cheerful person or something like that. And it's hard to communicate like, this is work. <laughs> That's you know? a key thing right there. You mentioned that about ADD too. And you said you have ADD, but you can improve and you can work out of it to some extent. Yes. So that's to, also to with a large optimism. Extent. Okay. That's right. That's right. I think that as much as you think medication will do for you, you can do that much on your own without medication. Wow. Um, and medication has downsides, right? Whereas yes. meditation, meditation doesn't. Um, it has like positive downsides, lower blood pressure, better sleep, um, you know, more calmness. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work that into my, my coaching and teaching of my students, but you know, they're, they always kind of look at me sideways. Like, what are, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with running? Does I, I have a feeling something about running is a connection here. You started yes. long distance running. Yes. I started, I started walking in 2017. Um, I remember those and then posts, that led so. to some, some light jogging. Um, but okay. So you're not just like a crazy runner out of your mom's womb or something. You were, 
you're a fully developed adult, you have a PhD and you're like, oh yeah, I can't run right now. I got to start with one foot in front of the other. That's right. Walking, walking. And okay. I, How long did you gained, walk? Um, it was about two miles. So it was about a mile to a, a beautiful lake and then, and then kind of a half mile around the lake and then maybe a mile back so two and a half miles. And this became a daily thing. And it was, it was so nice. It was actually motivating. I, was like, I like going to the lake. I like, I like listening to this certain music, right? I was listening to like, uh, like EDM, like dance music. I like this energy. And then I would do a podcast on the walk back, which was also something I don't listen to my podcast if I don't go for my run. So I have to go for my, for my run. And that just led to kind of what, more and more. What kind of podcast was it? That was a, uh, a very small Jewish man called Ben Shapiro. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is politics and stuff. Something that maybe people would like to avoid if they want to have low blood pressure. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I now do, I now do less politics. I do, uh, I do, uh, the Dr. Puff podcast called the happiness podcast. And I do real estate. I do daily scripture reading, um, just about every day on a walk or a run. What real estate, uh, podcast do you listen to? Mi favorito. My favorite one is, um, passive real estate investing with Marco Santorelli. Passive it's real just- estate investing. Okay. It's just little little nuggets, one piece at a time. It's nothing grand, but you learn something every time, and, and you add them up together. You start to get a picture of how real estate works. And and you, do you have like a did you have like a huge chunk of cash from your parents, and that's why you got interested in real estate, or is this like what running? You started walking, and you're like now running like, you know, half a marathon or whatever. That's right. Yeah, I ran my first marathon in November. Congratulations. So, thank you. So yeah, it took four, four years, you could say, of, of training. I wasn't planning to run a marathon, but exactly what you're saying, just the slow, steady increase. And, and that's this book, Atomic Habits, which my family is all getting into right now. Um, say the name of the book again. What was it? I believe it's Atomic Habits, as in Atomic, atomic Bomb. Habits. Atomic okay. Habits, you take one habit at a time. And you do, I, I, I kid you not, the reason people don't do this is it sounds too easy. You do the <laughs> most minimum I wrote, I wrote on my, my Facebook wall, uh, how to run a marathon and still be lazy. Walk yes. That was a very a compelling post. I, I, I thought that's very catchy. You should write a book about that. All right. All right. I think I will, because it's a hot topic right now and people really, they really are doing it wrong because they think it has to be hard, right? They go to the gym and yeah. kill themselves. Yes. Don't want to go back tomorrow because they're too sore mm-hmm. and pretty soon they're not in the habit. And so the gym membership is just passive income for the gym people. <laughs> um, but if you do the, the, the simplest, easiest, almost embarrassingly dumb thing, like walking for five or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but you do it every day. The only thing with the only part where the discipline comes in is you have to do it every day. It's raining. If you're tired, if you're hungover, if you didn't sleep, if your kids need you, you still have to do it. You have to do your five minutes, your 10 minutes, your 15 minutes. And a big, a big part of this journey for me was when my wife said I was coming back home. I wasn't running in the morning, but I knew by this point, this is a couple of years in, I knew how important the running was for me, for me mentally. And I wasn't running in the morning because school had started. And I was like, I have to run in the afternoon during family time or else I'm not going to run at all. And my wife said, she said, Keith, you're a better person after your run, do your run. I'm giving you permission to like let go of the family time, which of course is very precious to me. 
That's huge. And so I would 30 minutes, an hour, I come back, still have some family time, mm -hmm. but my mentality was so much better. Mm -hmm. uh, I solved problems on my run. I listened to my podcast on my run. I listened to music and I stopped thinking on my run because I'm solving problems all day. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's really a, a powerful time. And of course I've read since experiencing this, this change that exercise and meditation have done in my life, I've read about things like exercise can basically cure depression. Like as much as medication, as wow. much as medication, exercise can reduce depression. So, you know, it's not like you, you have to use it or you don't have, but wouldn't that be nice if you could have all the benefits of depression, antidepressants with no side effects. Praise God. Yeah. So, um, so, so Keith, that's, that's with, with, ties in. with real estate, it would, was that, was your interest in real estate spa, spawned on by your podcast and running? How did you get into real estate and what kind of real estate do you do? Yeah. So, um, my students are asking about me. Um, so I started, um, I've always been interested in real estate. Like a lot of people are, you know, just casually. But when we moved to Kentucky, we bought a house for $4,000 on an FHA loan. It was a $100,000 duplex. We put 4% down basically. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah. And I didn't know about this, but who I have since given many, many shout outs. Um, Mitch Berry in, in Southern California here. He just said, hey, get a duplex and rent out one side. We did that. And that's when I got my first sort of taste of, hey, I, and then we, you know, at the FHA, you have to live in it for a certain amount of time. After we moved out, right. I'm getting a paycheck essentially from this house that I own without doing any extra work. You know, I, mean, I have what to go light the, yeah. I have to go light the uh, pilot light, stuff like that. But I mean, once you taste it, it's like, why, how can I do more of this? And so uh, it, we got our second duplex just basically 10 minutes away in Kentucky uh, from a long distance. So we're still in California, but we're buying in Kentucky. We got that one in 2020 um, because my wife had started working and, you know, she made about 15,000 in the year. We put about 15,000 on another down payment in, uh, in Kentucky, which those of, those of your listeners who are in California know is about 1% of a California <laughs> home. Um, so since 2020 to now, taking baby steps, um, I'm working on acquiring my seventh property. Seventh? Yeah. Atomic Habits. Wow. Atomic in two habits. years? Uh, in two years, you, you did that many properties? Yeah, went from one, yeah, from one to six. I have six right now. And they're because of their due During the pandemic. Have, during the public right. health panic, I should say. Yeah, I just didn't care so much about that and just went for my runs and called people and tried to buy houses. So we have, well, uh, I think we have 10 units right now. We'll have 11 to get the seventh property at the end of the month. Your dad was on the radio, right? Was he famous? Your dad? Yeah, Rich Bueller. Yeah, he was a talk show host, um, writer, and uh, he was a pastor for a while. He was in news for a while, but he's, he's most well known for his talk show, Talk From The Heart. Talk yeah. From The Heart, okay. I grew up listening to that. I I had not heard it. Somebody mentioned it to me, and I was like, "Oh, I'll ask him about that." If it, he, they go, "Is that the same Bueller as this guy?" Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. 
Okay. You can uh, read all about his, uh, we're republishing his books at richbuehler.com and we're posting some of his audio and audio content, stuff like that, just to keep his legacy alive and make it available for maybe a new generation. Yeah, that's he was awesome. A great he was a great teacher. Yeah. Well, I wish I would have uh, had you had that on my radar earlier. I could have uh, looked at his stuff and asked you more, more about it, but I know that you have to go and we really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, Dr. Bueller say, hi to your kids for you for us you. um your students and thank them for letting us borrow you for a few extra minutes absolutely i shall and thanks so much for thinking of me and, and having me on lucas it's an honor and curtis um yeah. i'm going to go back and and catch up on the episodes that i haven't heard yet um but it's been on it's been an honor it would be great to have There's you. no pictures there's no pictures on the audio just for for <laughs> for you orthodox we need to okay shadow sure shadow puppets nothing okay <laughs> thanks a lot keith and we look forward to maybe doing another episode where we can get dig further into some of this stuff that we we've broached today if you want to do that later on maybe when you're not as busy I'm over in. the summer i'm in name the time thanks so okay much. awesome thank you see you brother bye bye guys